Today we're going to look at this uh, question of what's wrong with just a little bit more. Isn't there something wrong with just a little bit more? You know, one of my favorite things to have are holidays. We all enjoy holidays. You know, the word holiday really means holy day. And uh, what's something that's holy? Well, the word holy means something that's set apart, something that's unique, something that's different. And, and the word holy doesn't necessarily have to refer to something to do with God. It can, and obviously there's nothing or no one more unique and set apart and different than God. And so usually when we talk about holy things, we're talking about, uh, we're talking about God or we're talking about something spiritual. Um, but sometimes it just means something that's, that's a little bit different. We've got a lot of holidays, and some are serious, uh, some are not so serious. Did you know that today is National Tell-A-Joke Day? It really is. I will, I will spare you from any Baptist humor here, but today's National Tell-A-Joke Day. Today is National Roller Coaster Day. Today is National Airborne Day. And I hate to even mention the last one, but today is National Rum Day. So please don't celebrate uh, that last one. But, you know, with, with, the, with the big holidays, the real holidays that we talk about, you think about July 4th, you think about uh, Thanksgiving, you think about Christmas, the big ones. Um, those holidays, something has happened in our society that has united all of those holidays together. And the one thing that ties them all together in our society is commercialism. I mean, there's a sale for every holiday that's out there. In years past, there was one uniquely American holiday that was saved from ever really being commercialized, and it was Thanksgiving. With Christmas, for a long time, it's been commercialized because, you know, you buy gifts for the kids or for each other, and so there's going to be sales, there's going to be opportunity to make money. But Thanksgiving, for the longest time, was simply a day to give thanks to God. It is a day for families to come, come together. But now uh, commercialism has even crept into Thanksgiving Day. And, and so this idea of we have to buy, we have to spend money, we have to sell things, it's infected every area of our lives. Well, I don't think that we really understand how deeply commercialism, how deeply materialism has invaded our lives. It's even come into the church. Some people attend church for business connections. It's where they can make a few other connections and make some more money. Um, there's even a theology that misinterprets and misuses scripture for financial gain. It's called the prosperity gospel. And I want to talk for just a few minutes about the prosperity gospel. What is that? Well, simply put, the prosperity gospel is a belief that says that by doing good things or by having faith, we can leverage material blessings from God. We can get God to give us material blessings. Sometimes uh, it's called the health and wealth theology. Sometimes it's called the word faith movement. Name it and claim it. Blab it and grab it. Whatever you want to call it. Uh, it's this kind of idea that you can leverage from God material blessings by being good enough or by being faithful enough. There's a lot of proponents of the, uh, of the health and wealth gospel. Uh, Ken and Gloria Copeland, the late Paul Crouch of TBN, Creflo Dollar, uh, Benny Hinn, uh, pretty much most of the people on the Trinity Broadcasting Network. Now, I'm, I'm going to give a disclaimer. I haven't actually turned on the Trinity Broadcasting Network in 
many years. And I'm just assuming that it's still pretty much the same theologically as it was back then. But I want to point out to you, not to pick on any particular health and wealth gospel uh, teacher, but I want to use this one lady as an example. Because her teachings about the, theological issues, even unrelated to money, are pretty typical. Um, and it's Joyce Meyer. Joyce Meyer is a prosperity gospel proponent, and I want you to understand some of the things that she teaches, and some of these things have nothing to do with money. She teaches that Jesus literally stopped being the Son of God on the cross. She teaches that Jesus went to hell and became the first born-again man. She teaches, in fact, that when Jesus went to hell, that's where he paid for our sins. That's not what Scripture teaches. She teaches that, that words that we speak, those words themselves have spiritual power, and you can release the power of heaven through your words. She teaches that she is no longer a sinner, that she's reached a state of holiness where she never sins. And by the way, if you ever run across someone who thinks that, just disagree with them and see how mad they get. Uh, but nevertheless, she teaches that. And she also teaches, by the way, that you need special revelation from God to understand what she teaches because it's not from the Bible. She admits that some of the things that she teaches are not from Scripture. And so the only way you're going to understand it is if you have the same special revelation from God that she has. Now, some of these teachings ought to be worrisome to us. And I think they, they will be if we think about them. But at its heart, the prosperity gospel, now use her as an example because many of these other teachers, they all come from the same strand of thought. And they all pretty much teach the same thing, the same heresies about Christ and about how to leverage blessings from God. At its heart, the prosperity gospel is completely self-centered. And there's no one who encapsulates this more than Joel Osteen. Joel Osteen said in one of his most recent books, God has already done everything he's going to do. The ball is now in your court. And listen to what he says. He says, if you want success, if you want wisdom, if you want to be prosperous and healthy, you're going to have to do more than meditate and believe. You must boldly declare words of faith and victory over yourself and your family. You know, that sounds like a pretty good message. I mean, we want all those things, right? But I want you to hear the heart of what he's saying. He's saying that as a believer, your goal should be money, health, success, material blessings. All of these things should be your goal. Is that what Scripture teaches? And does Scripture teach that we can, through our obedience, leverage these things from God? At its heart, the prosperity gospel is a false gospel. It is not the gospel of grace that we find in Scripture. The true gospel of God is beautifully described in, by Jesus in a single verse. And we're going to look at two verses of Scripture, both in the Gospel of Matthew. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn first to Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, Jesus gives a very brief description of what the kingdom of God is like. And he says these words, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. 
And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Let's look at this verse carefully so we can really understand what the true gospel and the kingdom of God is like. The true gospel that Jesus is talking about produces some things in us. It produces in us an eternal vision. I want you to think about this man. Just a regular guy, no name. In fact, it's a story, really. He said, the kingdom of God is like a man. Any one of us who stumbles across this field. But he finds something that everyone else has missed. He finds an incredible treasure in this field. And so this man had to sell everything he owned in order to buy this piece of property. Why would he do something like that? Well, it's because of the treasure. It's because that treasure that's hidden in this field, it, that treasure is eternally more valuable than anything else he already has. And there's a lesson for you and me. That no matter how much earthly wealth you and I possess, it's nothing. It's worthless compared to eternity. It's worthless compared to the kingdom of God. And we should be willing not to pursue earthly riches and wealth, but we should be willing to give them up in order to pursue spiritual wealth. Most people, though, waste their entire lives trying to accumulate for themselves temporary wealth. The problem is not wanting to benefit ourselves. The problem is that we go after the wrong thing. We value the wrong treasure. We value the things of this world. Prosperity gospel preachers produce donors. But gospel preachers, true gospel preachers, produce disciples. And there's a difference. Donors want their donation to pay off. I make a donation, and I want that donation to do good. I want that donation maybe to even pay off for me. I want to feel good about it. Or I want that donation to somehow uh, accomplish something. I'm, I'm investing this in this donation. I, I want this donation to pay off. And that's why people who are nothing more than donors, that's why they're so easily conned by prosperity gospel preachers. Because they come along like Robert Tilton did so many years ago. And they say, God will make you rich if you donate to me. You give me $1,000, God will give you $10,000. He says things like, just speak those words of faith. Plant that seed of faith. And God will make you rich. Like me. Well, there's a reason these guys are rich. Because they're conning God's people. Prosperity gospel preachers produce donors. But true gospel preachers produce disciples. Disciples, on the other hand, they allow God to do something completely different than simply donating and hoping something comes of it. True disciples allow God to develop in themselves a vision for eternity. And that vision for eternity is so real that they willingly invest everything they have. Their time, they willingly invest their talents, they willingly invest their treasure 
and the work of God. Why? Because they're necessarily going to get something from it? Maybe or maybe not. But they invest in that because they know there's an eternal payoff. They know that God will reward them in eternity. The true gospel produces not just an eternal vision, but it produces a willingness to sacrifice. I mean, what would you think of some man that came along, like the man that Jesus talked about, and he, he sold everything he had to purchase a piece of land? What a buffoon. What a moron. This guy sold everything to get a field. I don't see the payoff. He sacrificed everything he had for a worthless piece of land. But the man knew something that the doubters didn't know. The man knew that the land wasn't worthless. He knew that it was worth the sacrifice. What makes an investment a sacrifice? It's this simple principle. If the reward gained is greater than the cost paid. The reward gained is greater than the cost paid. The little old lady who came walking into the temple with two coins to her name. This temple area that she was walking into was bigger than 15 football fields. It was huge. No telling how much money it took to build the thing. It took over 40 years to build this. And the little old lady, she took her two coins, all she had, and no one saw her except Jesus. And she put those two coins in the, we call it the offering plate. She put those two coins in the treasury box to help pay for that temple. Why? What benefit is she going to get from it? None. The building's already built. She's not going to get any benefit from it. She'll probably die soon. Why did she do it? She did it so the generations that followed would have a place where they could worship God. She did it because she believed no one's watching but God. She believed in what she was donating to. She was a true disciple of God, a true follower of God. The reward gained by her was greater than the sacrifice, and that was a huge sacrifice for her. Back to the story, that man who bought the land, that land cost everything the man had. But he gained everything that mattered. It cost him everything that he already possessed. But he gained something greater. And that comes through faith. That's the way it is with God's kingdom. We must invest everything that we have, whatever it is that you've got, be willing to say to God, God, I want to invest in your work. And you will gain everything that matters. Well, the true gospel not only produces an eternal vision and produces a willingness to sacrifice, but it produces in us a joyful attitude. 
as we sacrifice for God's kingdom. Have you ever known a miserable giver? Have you ever known someone who, who would give, but they weren't happy about it? You had to twist their arm about it. Um, they, they, they were upset that they had to give. They were worried that they had to give. That's not the way it was with this guy. Jesus said in this verse, from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has. This guy was overjoyed to get rid of all of his possessions. We'd think he was crazy. He got rid of everything. Why did he have so much joy? Why did he have so much joy? Because he knew that he was making a fantastic investment, even though the sacrifice was great. God loves a joyful giver. You know, someone, many of us, we might think, I've just got a limited amount of time. I've just got a limited amount of talents. I'm not that talented. I don't have a whole lot of treasure. I mean, how can giving the little bit that I have bring me joy? It's because you know that all of your earthly possessions pale in comparison to your heavenly reward. Our attitude should be, because I've got a limited amount of time and a limited amount of talent and just a little bit of treasure, because I've got so little, I choose to give everything that I can away to God because I want to invest in God's eternal kingdom. You know, at the the end, it comes down to a choice. Turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 6. Just back a few chapters. In Matthew chapter 6, we have a choice to make. And we can choose between one of two treasuries. We can choose an earthly treasury, a bank, if you will, to keep our investments in, or we can choose an eternal treasury. In verses 19 and 20 of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, for moth and rust destroy, for thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. You know, some people think that God, or God is against investments. That's not true. God, is, God believes in investments. He values investments. He values eternal investments in a heavenly treasury. And some people believe that God does not want you to act in your own interests. Again, that's not true. The problem is that when you and I invest in our own interests, we're very short-sighted. And we're very selfish in that. God wants us to invest in ourselves. In fact, what did Jesus say? He said, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. You're making an investment that will be beneficial to you, not just a few years from now, but for all eternity. God wants us to invest in eternal self-interest. You know, some of us have already accumulated some measure of wealth, and God instructs us about our attitude. Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul said, Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share 
storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Paul's echoing Jesus' statements and his sentiment. Paul is saying, look, you've already got some measure of wealth here on earth. Be rich, though, in good works. Be rich in an eternal treasury that will pay off for all eternity. So what treasury will you invest your wealth in? When John D. Rockefeller passed away, his accountant who had charge of all of his money was asked this question, how much money did Mr. Rockefeller leave? And the accountant said, all of it. He left all of it. You know, you cannot take your money with you when you die. But you can send it on ahead. You can invest. While you have years of life on this earth, you can invest your life in God's eternal kingdom. And God promises that you will be rewarded for that. Randy Alcorn challenges us with these words. He says, you're an investor, great. Invest in what counts the most. You have the desire to succeed, fine. Succeed in servanthood, in giving, in praying, in reaching out to the lost and needy. You have ambitions? Fine. Make them kingdom ambitions. You have dreams? Great. Are you willing to trade in your short-term dreams for the eternal dreams of the risen Christ? He says, don't just think three days ahead or three years ahead or 30 years ahead. He says, think 30 million years ahead. What will matter then? What will matter then? Jesus said in the next verse, in verse 21 of Matthew 6, he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, most of us think that our, it's the other way around. Most of us think that we spend money wherever our heart is. You know, if someone loves fishing, they're going to spend a lot of money on a bass boat. Someone loves uh, going to the sporting events. He's going to spend a lot of money on going to sporting events. Someone loves church. Spend a lot of money in church. Someone loves whatever it is. You love your kids. You might spend a lot of money on your kids. Jesus says it's just the opposite. He says your heart doesn't follow. He says your, your treasure doesn't follow your heart. But your heart follows your treasure. In other words, do you want to have a heart for God, invest your money in God's kingdom. Do you want to have a heart for missions? Invest your money in missions. Your heart will follow your money. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In the next two verses, Jesus says, The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. You've got a choice today between two types of treasuries. Where are you going to invest? In an earthly treasury, what are you going to do? Try to follow a theology that says get more and more money? Try to follow a theology that says that, that God blesses us in order to raise your standard of living. Or that God may bless us in order to raise our standard of giving. 
You can invest in one of two treasuries, an earthly treasury or a heavenly treasury. And in these verses, Jesus says that you can have one of two visions. A vision of eternity, a vision that follows after Christ, or a vision of selfishness, a vision of this world. So in your life, do you only see the here and the now, or can you see eternity? And the only way you're ever going to gain an eternal vision is by allowing your mind to follow what the Word of God instructs us to do. Scripture gives us a very clear vision for the future. Do you want to know what's going to happen to the bass boat, to the house, to the car, to all of your worldly possessions? 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 tells us what will happen. But by His word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. Why in the world would we ever want to invest in this world? Why do we get so focused on having the bigger and the better and the best things of this life when Scripture says there's coming day when it's all going to burn? It's all going to burn. And the only thing that remains are those investments that you've made in eternity. Who wants to invest in a house that has been burnt by fire? When was the last time you saw a car on the side of the road that had, been, had caught on fire and it was totally destroyed? And you looked at that and you said, that's what I want. I want that piece of junk. That's what we do when we set our life for the things of this world. It's all going to burn someday. In Matthew 6, 24, Jesus concludes this teaching by talking about two different masters. You can invest in two treasuries, one of two. You can have one of two visions, an earthly or a heavenly vision. And he says you can only have one of two masters. He says no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. You can't do it. That's why Jesus said elsewhere it's so hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's so hard. Why? Because a rich man's heart has likely been captured by a love for money. And Jesus says, you must love God. Not your stuff, not your possessions, not your bank account, not your retirement fund. You must love God. So it comes down to a choice between two treasuries, two visions, and two masters. Whom will you choose? Will you choose Christ to be your master? Or will you enslave yourself to the false god of wealth?